Well, how are we, we doing this morning? Yeah, can you believe that uh, it's already December? I mean, before we know it, it's going to be, you know, 2024, I think. But, ah, oh, you're awake. Well, I'm Adrian, if we haven't had the chance to meet, and one of the, the teaching pastors at Alpine Church, and uh, glad to be here with you this morning as we, we start a, a new sermon series as we, you know, get into this, this busy time of year, um, expecting Jesus. And, and what we're trying to look at in, in this, this series is kind of really looking at the, the unexpected backstory of Christmas, kind of those, those things that, that maybe we've missed over the years and hearing the Christmas story and the, the, the things that we might have glanced by some other Christmas seasons. And, and you know, the, the truth about it is, is that we all have a backstory, don't we? I mean, we've, we've all got a backstory, those, that, that family tree, those people in our families, whether we know them, whether we don't know them, whether we like them or not, you know, those people that are kind of in our backstory that in one way or another, maybe small ways, maybe big ways, have, have really have played a part of, of where we are at today. You know, my, uh, my mother was born and raised in Ontario, Canada. Right, that's where, where her family is from. My my father was was raised, and his entire family, for the most part, came up in Louisiana, Plaquemine, Louisiana. You know, and on my dad's side, we we kind of had these matriarchs in, in our family, which was my grandmother and and her sisters that really kind of were the leaders of our family, and. You know, one of my, my mother's uh, sisters was kind of into doing all the, the ancestral research, right? Ancestry.com and all that, that kind of stuff. She was excited about tracing her roots, tracing her family tree. And uh, she actually did a little bit of, of work tracing my dad's side of the family as well for us, just so that we could see kind of who was in that family line. And, and one of the things that she actually found in, in my mother's family was uh, I was actually, she sent this stuff out and I was kind of just brief, kind of going through it a little bit, trying to see what was there. And uh, I, I found something a little bit unexpected. You see, my, my mother's family is from Canada, right? And their, their roots trace back to England. And what I didn't expect to find in some of this ancestral paperwork was that my aunt was corresponding to somebody that was kind of within this family tree somewhere in Kansas. And, and I thought that was odd. You know, I, I thought that me and my siblings were the only people from my mother's side of the family that were Americans. But I come to find out that, uh, that we've actually probably have some extended family, um, you know, maybe far extended, that are actually Americans as well, and, and maybe as close as, as Kansas. But, I mean, what, what can you expect, you know? My, my mother's side came from England. They went to Canada. It's not that odd that some of them would actually travel to America as well. But, you know, Jesus has a backstory as well. And, and I think that, um, you know, there's some stuff in Jesus's 
backstory, the people that came before Jesus, the, the people that are in Jesus' family tree that we might find a little unexpected. And so we've titled this message for today, The Unexpected Family. Now, I'll be honest with you, most of the time when I come to a point in the Bible where it starts talking about uh, ancestry, you know, where it starts talking about so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of this and that, and the son of, you know, all these names that I can't pronounce. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I kind of skip over it, right? You just kind of pass through it because you can't, you don't want to pronounce all the names, you're going to get them wrong anyway. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's actually a little boring. You know, on the surface, it seems a little boring. Like, who wants to read all these names? What, what, what are you going to get out of reading all these names? You know, we find these places in the, in the Old Testament where we've got all these lists of names of these people being born to the, their fathers. And we have also see it in the New Testament for Jesus in, in the book of, of Matthew and in the book of Luke, um, Matthew kind of shows, shows the side of, of his mother, Mary. In Luke, we see the lineage of his father, Joseph. And so what we want to do is, um, you know, uh, look at kind of some of these people that were in Jesus' family line. Because, you know, as much as we want to pass through it, we've got to remember this is that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach, including the genealogy of Jesus. You see, this family tree has good news for us. And so as we kind of take a look at, at some of these people in Jesus' family tree, I, I really do believe that we're going to find some things that are unexpected, we're going to find some things that help us understand who, who God is and, and really help us understand our relationship to God as well. Now, we're not going to read through all the names. We're not going to go through it. But what I hope that, that this kind of message kind of sparks is that the next time that you're reading your Bible and you come across a, a bunch of names for the, the family tree of somebody, is that you would take a minute and, and actually look through those names and investigate who these people are. Because I believe that, that even in these names, God is, is showing us some truths that we can apply to our lives. And so uh, the, the first thing we're going to do is take a look at some of these people and see... Uh, what they're saying, because I believe that the ancestry line of Jesus shows us the storyline of the Bible. And the first place that we see this is actually in, in Luke chapter 3. They trace Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, back to Adam and Eve. And you know, this is the, 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 the start of humankind, right? The, the beginning of, of creation where, where God, there was nothing. God was there and, and by his voice, he, he brought things into being. He created things. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we, we, we get this. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. 
Now, to, to understand what, not only who is talking here, but, but what this is talking about, we got to understand what was going on. You see, God created Adam and Eve, right? And he created them to be in perfect relationship with him, right? God was their source of truth, their source of love and strength, and, and they were in the garden in a, a perfect relationship with God. But something happened, right? That, that relationship that they had with God was broken. And it was broken because Kate, Satan came in and tempted them that they didn't need God. Tempted them that, that they could be their own source of truth, that they could be their own source of love and strength. And Adam and Eve believed him. Right? He tempted them with this thought that, that they didn't need God. And they believed them. And so they took of that forbidden fruit that God told them not to take. And they ate it. And at that moment, they, they sinned against God. And the relationship with God was broken. And right in the middle of, of the regret, right? Because as soon as they did it, they noticed that their relationship with God was broken. Something was missing. And in the middle of that regret, that shame, right, this is what God said to Satan. And God was, was basically sending a message that despite the fact that you've turned your back on me, despite the fact that you've sinned against me, despite the fact that our relationship is broken, I'm going to fix it says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You see, God was pointing to the, the solution, right? God's plan was beginning to unfold. The, the minute the relationship was broken, God's plan begins to unfold, fixing the problem of sin. And he makes a promise that out of this woman, right, her offspring from her seed is going to come someone that's going to fix the problem. And so we see right at the beginning of the Bible, God's plan to fix the problem of sin begins to unfold. Another person that we see in the line of, of Jesus is is Abraham. We actually see Abraham's name. And this is what it says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be blessing, a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. You see, God is revealing to Abraham here that from his line is going to come this promise. You see, again, we're, we're seeing God's plan unfold through the, the lineage of Jesus Christ that even though years have passed since God declared that he was going to provide a solution for the sin problem with Adam and Eve, he's now reminding Abraham and letting Abraham know that that promise is going to be fulfilled through him. You know, and indeed, Abraham does 
from his seed, he becomes a great nation. And, and this wasn't something that was easy for Abraham to understand, right? When, when God gave Abraham this message, he was 75 years old and he had no kids. But God was asking Abraham to trust him and that he was going to figure out that God was going to take care of all these little details to fulfill his promise himself and solve the sin problem. You know, Abraham did become, uh, from his line, there did become a, a great nation, the great nation of Israel. And Abraham goes on to be an example of faith for all the people that would follow after him. And even after Abraham, we find another one of uh, Jesus' descendants in Abraham's line, David, the king of Israel. That, that mighty nation that God promised Abraham. David here is the, the king of Israel. And, and we see uh, God's plan unfolding in David's life as, as a boy. He is anointed king of Israel. And as he becomes a man and, and takes the throne, he leads Israel to be one of the greatest kingdoms on earth. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... I will rise up your offspring, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall, be, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, David did have a son that succeeded him on the throne. His son's name was Solomon. But when we read the Bible, we find out that that Solomon, yes, had a great reign, but after Solomon passed, his kingdom was, was actually divided, and Israel was divided, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and both of those kingdoms actually ended up being conquered, and the people taken into slavery, into captivity by other, other nations. So that couldn't have been the kingdom that, that God was telling David that, that he was going to have somebody from his seed that was going to sit on forever, right? So this is God telling David that that promise that he made way back in Genesis, that that plan that he was unfolding to fix the sin problem was going to come through his line, was going to come through his line. I mean, just look at it. We just looked at three people from the lineage of Jesus. Three people, and, and we can see how God's plan, how, how the Bible, really the, the whole message in the Bible unfolds in, in just these three people. And I believe the reason why is, is really is because of this, is, is because... At the beginning of Matthew, when we begin to read the lineage of Jesus, it says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. You see, the, the Bible unfolds, the, the message of the Bible is, is opened up through the lineage of Jesus because the entire Bible is pointing to Jesus. 
See, the Bible is telling us that that Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is that one that, that God promised that he was going to send through the line of Abraham, through the line of David, that he was going to send to fix our sin problem. The whole story of the Bible is pointing to Jesus. You know, another thing I think that is unexpected when we take the time to look into the, the, the family tree of Jesus is the fact that God invited sinners to be part of his story. You see, when you look at these names, you're going you're gonna to find out that the name, the, the picture you get when you read the Bible, the, the truths that the Bible tells us about some of these folks isn't like the stories that you might have got when you were in Sunday school, right? Some of these guys, they made some terrible mistakes, right? They were just like you and me. There were times in their lives where they made some terrible choices and they sinned against God. But God still chose to use them. I want to look at a couple of examples. First example is Noah, right? It, Genesis 9.20 tells us that after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine that he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Now, now I can't imagine that that was a, a good sight to see with his family walking in on him, his son actually. But, you know, you might be able to say that, that Noah, in, in one sense, the, the fact that he was using something that God provided, that he was honoring God by, by making this wine. I mean, we have examples in the Bible where God is praised for his provision for what, is, what can be made into wine. In Psalms 104, 14, it says, you caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the hearts of men. But we, we also read in other places in the Bible, like Ephesians 5.18, that says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, so on, on one hand, we have this truth in the Bible where we know that God has provided the, the resources for us to enjoy. But on the other hand, we have a warning, right, that, that God actually wants to be our source, our ultimate source of joy. And any time that we, that we basically look to the things that God has provided to be our ultimate source of joy... We abuse them, we overindulge in them, and we become drunk. Instead, God is telling us, don't be drunk on, on these things that I'm providing you to enjoy. Be drunk in the spirit, meaning just be filled in your relationship with me. And we have an example that Noah didn't do that here, and he sinned against God in his drunkenness, and it did cause problems in his family. Next, Abraham, that, that man who God promised he would make into a great nation, and, and from him, this blessing, this promise would come that would solve our sin problem. And, and, and ladies, 
you're going to love this. this. He was a very manly man, let me tell you. Look at our example of Abraham. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life. Treat me well because of their interest in you. You see, what happened is there was a famine. And so Abraham and his wife, Sarah, actually went to Egypt. And when they went into Egypt, apparently Sarah was very beautiful. And what Abraham was afraid of is that when he got into this place that they would see her, that the leaders of this area would want her and would kill him in order to take her as their own wife. And so he asked his wife, rather than trusting in God, rather than believing that God was going to fulfill his promise and that through him the promise would come, that he would have a child, he tells Sarah to say that he's his sister. And you know what happened? Sarah was taken into these other leaders' house, kind of like as part of their harem. And, and, you know, maybe you say, okay, well, Abraham did this because he was afraid of his life. It's a sacrifice any wife should make, right? (laughs) But look what it says. Look what it says. Then they will spare my life and treat me well. I'm convinced that I'm sorry, I'm convinced that Abraham pimped out his wife. That's what it looks like to me. But but look, God was faithful, right? Even though Abraham sinned against God by not trusting God and sinned against Sarah by giving her up, giving up his own wife to protect his own self and to profit from it, God was faithful because God closed the womb of of. Everyone in the household that she was in, that, that other ruler, in order to, to kind of stir up problems so that it would become, uh, become known that Sarah was actually Abraham's wife so that she would be returned to him. She wasn't touched. She wasn't hurt. She wasn't abused. See, God was faithful to his promise, even though Abraham sinned. Next, Isaac. Abraham's son, right? The, the, the son that, that God promised would, would be in the line for the ultimate promise that would take care of sin. Well, Isaac, he does the same thing his father does. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. He was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, They'll, they will kill me to get to her because she is so beautiful. Did same sin that his father did. And you know, Abraham actually did, did it twice, not just once, twice. Another example, Jacob, the son of Isaac in the line of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll, I'll read it. Jacob replied, it's Esau, your first, firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. See, Jacob, man, he, w- he was a swindler, right? He was a swindler. He was a crook, I guess is the way that you would say it. Because what he did is he went into his dad's, his, his, his dad who was losing his eyesight, right? He, he, he covered his arms with, with skins, fur, so that when his dad touched him, that his dad would be convinced that he was his older brother, 
And Jacob lied to his dad, told him that he was his older brother so that he could get his brother's blessing. Jacob was a liar. Jacob was a sinner. David, that, that boy that was anointed king, that, that man who, who God say, said would have somebody from his line on a throne that would last forever in the line of Jesus. It says, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Then, then pull back so that he will be killed. You see, what had happened is while David's men were out fighting a war, out on the battlefield, he's up on his roof and he notices this beautiful woman taking a bath and he calls for her to be brought to him. And in that day, that's not something that she could have refused the king. He had her brought to him. Next thing they find out is that she's with baby, that she's pregnant. And so David devises a plan because this woman is actually the wife of Uriah, one of David's mighty men, right? One of, one of David's men who had for years been fighting by his side, helped him establish the kingdom of Israel. And David took his wife. And then he calls for him to be, sent, to be brought back and tries to do all these things to get Uriah to go sleep with his wife. So figuring that, you know, if, Uriah, if he at least gets him there one night, they can say the baby is his and nobody would know. But it doesn't work. Because Uriah refuses to go enjoy the, the luxuries of his home and of his wife while his men are out on the battlefield dying. <laughs> Uriah's got more character than David at this moment. And so what David does is he actually has, he doesn't only commit adultery, take Uriah's wife. He actually ends up having Uriah killed to cover it up, sends them back with the, with the letter himself that has instructions of how he was going to be killed. David was a sinner. You see, these people in, in Jesus' family line, right, these people that God used, right, just like us, just like you and me. But it didn't stop God from using them. You see, our, our sin doesn't disqualify us from being part of Jesus' story. You see, this is the truth that I see when we, we look at Jesus' family tree, is that our sin does not disqualify us from being part of Jesus' story. Now, this doesn't mean that, that God ignores our sin, right? God hates sin. Sin separates us from God. So God has to deal with our sin. 
But this is what the Bible is all about. This is what we see when we begin to investigate those people in Jesus' family line, is that the Bible is all about God's plan to deal with our sin. God's plan to bring us back into relationship with him. You see, people get to join the family of God because God became a man. You see, God wasn't relying on any of these folks to fulfill his promise. Right? He said from the very beginning that, that he was going to solve our sin problem. His plan was always to fulfill his promise himself. See, and I believe that, that we, we begin to see this in, in, in the uh, Gospel of John. Jesus is called the Word of God. You see, and I think the way to think about this is, is our words... Our words kind of share our thoughts, our hearts, our emotions, kind of shares who we are with people. And it's kind of the same with the same way of looking at like that with, with Jesus. As, as John is calling Jesus, he gives him this title that he is the word of God. But, but he's actually saying much more than that. Because if you remember, God started and created all things by speaking them into existence. And this is what John says, in the beginning was the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. So John is, is saying that in the beginning, Jesus existed. Before anything was created, Jesus existed. And he was with God and he was God. Now, he's not saying that, that there were multiple gods, right? He, he's saying that Jesus, the, the promised one, the, the one that the Bible points to as being the, the, the solution for our sin problem is God himself, God born in the flesh, 100% God and 100% human. You see, God became a man to save us. And when he was born, he was called Jesus. You know what Jesus means? The Lord is salvation. God is salvation. What other name could he be given? God born in the flesh. And he lived a human life without ever sinning. He lived a human life, the hardships, experiencing the hardships, experiencing temptation without sin. And when we put our trust in him is when we get to be a part of Jesus' family. John goes on, he says, but to all who believe in him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, 
And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You see, I think that's a little unexpected. It's the fact that God himself set in motion a plan from the very first sin to solve our sin problem himself by becoming a man. And if you haven't put your trust in this God, I want to encourage you to put your trust in Jesus, the God who gave his life for you. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we exalt you. And Lord, we give you praise for being such a loving and a gracious God, a, a God who was willing to be born a human being and give yourself for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for that. I thank you that you had us in mind from the very beginning to save us and to love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.